Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work. A desire for always learning and improving and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hi, and welcome back to Creating Pros. I'm your host, Jim Nettles. And this week, we're going to be talking a little bit about something that you know we all don't necessarily want to think about when we get started going into a business or start working for a business, start doing some sort of a partnership. But really, I want to talk a little bit about what happens when something fails. Now, a lot of things can happen when you enter a contract. A lot of things can happen when you enter and create a new business. A lot of things can happen even with companies that have been around for a long time, whether it's one person or a company of tens of thousands. You know, we've seen major brands that come through and collapse just as much as we've seen a lot of startups fail, right? Well, when we start looking and talking about businesses and businesses failing, a lot of the time the question then becomes, what happens? Well, depending on what kind of business it is, depending on what the business relationship is, a lot of things can happen. And why are we talking about this today? Um, you know, why are we kind of jumping onto this side of things? Well, is you probably are paying attention to, you know, we see a lot of things happening in the economy. Even in the best of times, businesses fail for a lot of different reasons. But because we can see certain things happening in industry right now, and because of some things that have happened with a number of, of pretty well-known companies in the space, I thought it was worth it to have a little bit of a conversation about what do we do when these things happen? And anytime that you're dealing with publishing or other kinds of intellectual property, these questions of what happens when a, one business or another fails really becomes a lot more muddy and gets a lot more complicated. And this started with, and I'm going to talk a lot more about this, but there's been several companies, a number of brands. Um, some of which I have done business with or worked for or done stuff in partnership with over the years. Um, none of the ones I'm going to talk about to do tonight necessarily are ones that I've ever actually done something directly for, but there are a couple of, of significant changes that have happened in the space. Um, and while mainly tonight I'm, I'm going to be talking about this from the perspective of publishing in the publishing industry, these ideas, these principles are going to apply to anything pretty much in the IP space, whether you're a gaming company, um, whether you're a software company, whether you are even into uh, non-necessarily IP spaces, these things are going to happen. You know, when we look at businesses, roughly two thirds of any startup doesn't make it past its first two years. Now, that number can sometimes be a little bit misleading as well, um, because there's a lot of businesses that are started, not necessarily for the long haul, but are designed and created to be short term. So all those sorts of things fall into the numbers. However, when we look at the current environment we're in, when we look at what is happening in the economy, when we look at what is happening with money, with the availability of money and the sorts of things that manage cash flow, well, this is going to be one of those things we, we see is where we are going to see a lot more businesses either not start up or wind up ultimately failing. Now, here's a question that comes up, and this is the reason I'm talking about this primarily this week is I've uh, gotten a conversation with somebody I do some work with. Their publisher was failing. Um, they knew it was coming, and there was a lot of question as to what was going to happen with the IP. The company was 
in the process of being sold, being bought by another label, another brand. And so there's a question as to what was going to happen with those contracts. Um, well, looking then in the midst of these conversations, we also seen, like I say, a couple of brands that are pretty well known in the space have also failed. And I'm going to dive into those a little bit deeper. Um, so what happens if you're a writer and your publisher goes under or your publisher just ceases doing business or just isn't necessarily fulfilling everything that needs to happen? What can happen? Well, in short, it can really become a big mess. Um, and the real answer is it depends. And the first thing you're going to need to look at is what does your contract say? Now, in the publishing industry, we also have seen a lot of people over the last few years, people that have been in the business in the industry a long time have moved out of the industry, have retired. Uh, we've seen people get laid off, even from some of the largest publishing houses, and wind up hanging in their shingles to uh, go independent and provide services to the industry, or have gone working for other publishers. But Really, right now, the publishing industry is a rather interesting and somewhat difficult place to be in a lot of ways. Um, so let's start with the easy question. So what can happen to people in the publishing industry? Um, you know, for example, let's talk about publishers or agents. Um, even one of the things that can happen if you're working as part of a shared universe, um, you're working with a co-author, you're doing something where there are multiple IP holders. Well, all of these sorts of things can get rather muddy when it's more than just you. Uh, so what can actually happen, right? So what kinds of business transactions can ultimately happen? Well, first of all, um, somebody, your publisher, for example, may decide to sell or assign the rights to your IP, the rights that they may hold as the publisher to someone else. And that can happen because they're selling off a particular book of business. Maybe it's because the entire publisher is being acquired by somebody else. Uh, maybe it's because they're licensing out very specific rights, such as film or audiobook or those kinds of rights, because they're looking to make money. Uh, for example, we can see this having happened with Marvel Comics back in the 90s. They were in pretty dire financial straits. And this is the reason that really has created a lot of the mess out of the Marvel Universe and their availability and ability to work with some of their own characters and IP because they sold or licensed out those rights to companies like Sony. So this is the reason that we see a lot of very interesting things happen. Yes, they're Marvel characters, but they can't necessarily do everything that they would like to do with them. Um, so what else can happen? Well, a company can kind of slide into almost hibernation. Uh, we see, we've seen this happen actually over the last few years of the pandemic, happened to a lot of different companies. They're not necessarily out of business. Um, they're not necessarily closed. They're not bankrupt, but they're also not necessarily really operating a day-to-day -day operation. Um, maybe the owner of it is retired. Um, they're ill. They are just not giving it attention for some number of reasons. And maybe that's temporary, or maybe that's for a longer term, or maybe it really even wasn't intentional. Um, you know, but regardless, you might be in a position here where if the publisher or an agent or somebody else like that, you have a contractual agreement, but they're not living up to it, you're going to have to look at and understand what your rights are. And we're going to talk about how you do that in a few minutes. Um, well, let's actually talk about the next thing is they can actually go out of business. Um, again, we've seen this happen with a lot of small and large brands where, Companies just sort of run through their life cycle. 
Sometimes they make a mistake. Sometimes they don't adapt to changing market conditions. Um, and we even see some of that right now in the space, threatening some very large brands because of how consumers are acting and behaving in the marketplace. Um, the company, the individual, maybe the person behind it, because again, a lot of publishers, even small and medium-sized publishers, really are owned by one person or a handful of people. And so if somebody in that group goes bankrupt, even if it's just personal, this can affect the business as a whole, or maybe the business itself winds up going bankrupt. Well, if that happens, again, we're going to talk about what those uh, what those implications are. Um, and then, last but not least, and kind of contrary to public, you know, you know, public opinion, you know, editors, publishers, agents, all these people are actually people too. Um, they are human beings, and they can die. Uh, we've seen a number of authors that I've known, uh, especially over the last few years, people that were all, not only writers, but in the publishing business. We've seen a number of them, um, unfortunately, pass away in the last few years. Well, in some cases, this is now tangled up IP rights. Uh, a couple of cases, these are involved shared universes. In some cases, they were acting not only as an author, but also as a publisher. So what happens if the person behind that business dies? Well, there's a lot of things that can happen. And the first question, the first thing you really need to look at is what's in your contract? Um, now, we've not talked and done an in-depth dive in terms of basic contracts. That's one of those things that I do want to do later this summer. Uh, I'm going to do a small version of the contracts workshop. But one of the most important clauses that I always look at in a contract um, and anytime we're doing this for a client, I can't tell you the frequency with which I've had people come to me and say, well, I'm having a problem with my publisher. I'm having a problem with an agent. I'm having a problem, this, that, or the other. Well, the first question I always have is, can you show me the contract? Again, I'm not being an attorney here. Um, I'm not an attorney, but I've looked at a lot of contracts and I've worked with a lot of attorneys over the years. The first clause I'm really going to be looking at and looking for is what is generally going to be called the right of reversion. Or in other words, how can you get your rights back depending on certain circumstances, either on your side or on the behalf of the publisher? Now, there are certain things that often are just pretty well automatic. Um, if you do not see a right of reversion clause in the contract, the first thing you want to do is turn around and say, no, let's, let's start working here because this is going to be one of those things um, in fact, I've got somebody I'm working with right now who didn't have a right of reversion clause, and this is really leading to a lot of challenges about their IP and what they can do with it. Um, but how do contracts work? How do rights themselves work? Well, as an author or as an agent, as a publisher, whatever it is, when I enter into a contract with someone, let's say that I'm the author and I am licensing my rights to a publisher. Now, there's two ways, two major ways that we're, we're used to this happening. Number one is I'm doing it on a royalty basis. In other words, I'm licensing those rights, a limited set of rights to the publisher or through the agent, whatever the case may be, to be able to license, publish, and sell my work, and I'll be paid a royalty for that. Or I may be looking at a situation where it's a work for hire, which means that I am not the IP rights holder. I don't own the copyright. I'm just doing this work because I'm being paid for that in the process. 
Well, even if it's a right to work clause and a right to work, uh, or sorry, a right um, a, a work for hire scenario, you're very much operating as a consultant and a contractor, but you're also operating in a business to business arrangement, even as an individual with that other company. So if you are operating from that position of work for hire, if you are in the process of doing, working on and delivering work and haven't been paid for it, or something happens to that company while you're in the process of, of doing that work for hire, you may have options or you may have no options about what you can do with the work you're being doing, you've been doing as a part of that work for hire. Um, and we're going to talk about a couple of examples of that here in a couple of minutes. But with contracts, one of the most common things we often will see, depending on the kind of work, is that the contract is for a specific period of time. Um, after which the contract may expire, the point that you know the parties might be able to come in and renew the contract jointly. Maybe there's an automatic uh, renewal clause unless you ask for your rights back. Maybe there is the clause that says you can both jointly request to extend the contract further. But you know, one of the things that we'll see, for example, if you're looking at short stories, a lot of the time short stories are being are, are being licensed exclusively, say for 12 or 18 months for a limited period of time after which the author gets back some degree of their rights. Now, for example, if it goes into an anthology or something like that, generally the anthology is going to have an extended period of time that can continue to sell it, but the author can then themselves also do something with that short story. Now, if it's something longer, for example, a, a novel, for example, generally you're not going to get that kind of a reversion where, oh yeah, I can do something and the publisher can too. Um, generally, if the publisher has it, they're going to maintain those rights for whatever period of time they have. Now, sometimes one of the things, sorts of clauses you may see is that you have to meet a certain minimum sales standard. Um, maybe you have to meet a certain, um, you know, certain availability of, of product out there in the market. And these are things that have changed pretty significantly, especially in the age of ebooks. But there are a lot of reasons that a contract may have run and you get the right to request your rights back. Now, let's look at the next thing. Since we're here to talk about what happens when a business fails, um, in the event of a business closure, a business bankruptcy, um, the bankruptcy of one of the primary owners or holders of whatever that company are, are is, a lot of the time there's a clause in there that automatically states if the company closes and goes out of business, if they file for bankruptcy, anything along those lines happen that interrupts the operation of the business, then you automatically get your rights back. If it's your agent that goes out of business or goes bankrupt or something along those lines, often what you'll see is a clause there that says then you as the rights holder regain all rights, all royalties, a number of things like that. Now, if for some reason you have done work for hire, then your asset may still wind up being an asset of that company. And the same thing is true sometimes if you don't have a right of reversion clause, or depending on how the language is in the right of reversion clause, and depending on the kind of bankruptcy or the sort of business interruption, you may or may not have a position where you still got to go request your IP and your rights back. Um, but again, it's still one of those things that's often going to be messy. But Generally, one of the provisions I look for is if the publisher, if the agent, somebody like that goes out of business, then all the rights will automatically revert back to me. 
Now, what happens if we do have the scenario of, let's say a business is in trouble, or maybe they're just actually looking to sell and license some of these rights? Again, the Marvel scenario. Well, often when you sign that contract, you may or may not be allowing that party to assign your rights to other parties. So for example, maybe I'll go in and buy and license your print books, audiobooks, and um, ebook rights. Well, maybe in that scenario, uh, I will go out and resell those audiobook rights because I don't necessarily have the capital or I don't necessarily have uh, everything I need at the time to be able to do the audiobook, but I want it to still go out and go through. Maybe what I wind up doing is an assignment of those rights so that I can still generate some revenues from it, also generate revenues for the author. But again, I'm assigning those rights now to another party. Um, your contract may stipulate conditions by which that can happen. Or maybe if a publisher, let's say, is being bought and purchased by another brand, another label, another imprint, you also might have terms and conditions in there that state whether or not you have to give permission for another publisher to buy rights to your work. Um, and again, this is one of those things that you'll find and you'll have to read your contract. Now, whether the whether the publisher or an agent or somebody like that has specific rights, again, is going to be detailed in your contract. And if you're not sure, this is definitely the time to consult an attorney before you sign the contract. Now, let's actually talk about some of the messier kinds of situations we get into. Um, again, let's say that you've got a publisher that isn't out of business, but they're doing the bare minimum. Maybe they're, you know, still just collecting royalties. It's still, still out there and available on Amazon, but you're not able to get in touch with somebody to get author copies. You can't, you're not getting paid your royalties potentially or not on a timely basis. Uh, maybe you can't get information about something that's going on. Well, then you again, have to look at your contract. Because it's possible, again, you might be stuck in a contract. Just because they haven't necessarily acted as an operating business doesn't mean that they're closed. So this is the sort of places that you get into gray areas. Um, but generally, if you see somebody that is operating that way, and especially if you're not getting paid royalties, you actually do have a lot more options. Now, something else that can happen is this. If the prince behind the company in other words, the owner of the company becomes in incapacitated, they have a stroke, or they die. Um, then what might, might not wind up happening is their assets, their companies, everything like that kind of winds up going into probate. Depending on how the company is set up, depending on order of ascension, things like that. So for example, for my different companies, businesses, things that I do, partially because I've spent so many years in business continuity, DR, things like this. I've got plans. I've got ways for people to be able to get their accounts. I've got options for if something happens to me, there's ways for people to get to their data. There's ways for people to get to all of their information and things that we do. But again, in small business, often this is a lot, uh, a lot more complicated or something that not necessarily everybody's thinking through. Well, if somebody dies, you might be in the middle of a fight because the company itself may be continuing to operate and go. But there's going to be a period of time there where whoever is taking control and ownership of the company is going to have to figure out what happens with IP, especially any IP that is licensed. So let's say that I'm a publisher, something happens to me, 
Well, when that falls into probate, if I haven't set up a good order of operation and order for somebody to take over and be able to manage things on a go forward basis, then your rights could be hung up for a while while people untangle what's the future of that company. Um, often this really, again, gets quite messy. And I've seen this happen not only with publishers, not only with agents, but also with shared universes. And this, again, is one of those things that can become quite messy. So let's say you're in a writing partnership. One of the things you want to have in that contract is what happens if something happens to one or one or the other of you? You want to make sure that somebody has control of the IP and you have to be able to be able to allow people to continue to operate. So, for example, um, in a very real world case, so, you know, there was a writing partnership. One of the people passed away. Well, when they did, um, there was a project that was in flight in process. And ultimately, this meant it wound up tying up all the IP in that universe. Really, it got to the point where nobody else could continue to write in that universe because they, the family of the person who had passed away could not come to an agreement as to how those rights could continue to be used. So again, if you're going to be getting into that kind of an agreement, remember, you know, as an author, as a creator, as a creative, if you're working as a part of these kinds of projects, you want to make sure you have a contract, you have something in place that designates and says, here's how this works, and here's what happens if something happens to one of us. Now, what happens if we're in a situation here where, for example, I'm owed royalties and I'm not being paid my royalties on a regular basis. And I'm not sure what's happening with a given company. Um, I've seen this happen a number of times with smaller and even some mid-sized publishers. They start getting in financial trouble. They stop paying royalties. Well, if you, that happens and you can prove it, then often you have some remedies with, for example, Amazon. So if uh, assuming that the book is out there on Amazon and you can go and show, look, my, my, company is not paying me right royalties, often what you have the ability to do is step in there and what will happen is that Amazon will then abide by the contract to make sure you get paid your royalties while the publisher receives their share of whatever else is left over. Um, again, this is one of those things that can, that can get quite messy, but there are remedies. It is going to mean some legwork. It is going to mean taking some time. Now, Let's talk about some of the other kinds of remedies you can get into. Now, again, one of the first things you want to make sure you have is that right of reversion clause. How can I get my rights back? Because this is valuable not only if the company goes out of business or they get into trouble, but sometimes you just don't want to be doing business with someone any longer. And so you want to make sure you understand what your options are to get your rights back, depending on what else might be going on. So, for example... If you are doing work for hire, and I'm going to start with there, generally you don't have rights to the work that you're doing. But, and this is a big but, depending on the contract, um, and I'm going to dive a little bit deeper in this specific example in a minute. Let's say that I'm doing work for hire for a given company that is then doing work for another client. And that mid-company mid goes out of business. Well, there can be questions about whether or not I could go back in and pick up finishing up that work for that particular client directly on a, an agreement between the two of us or not. Um, or maybe there's a scenario here where if I've not been paid for my for the work I've done for hire, 
I might then gain some degree of ownership or control over that IP. It depends on the contracts that I've signed with the company or with the client. Now, second thing is, when you're looking at things, um, you can always try the professional option. If something's going on in the business relationship, one of the things you always have the ability to do is reach out to whoever happens to be in control. Because no matter what, even if the person you're used to doing uh, doing business with is incapacitated, uh, they've died, or you just can't reach them, someone is running and operating things ostensibly. If not, um, and you can't make contact or you can't reach someone, then a lot of the time you're going to find that you have other remedies. But often this is going to involve having to hire and contract an attorney to go and figure out what your options are, depending where you're at. But if you are in contact with someone, you always have that option to go and say, hey, I understand you guys are having whatever the situation may be. I'm going to put in a request for my rights back. And then after you shake things out, maybe we can have a conversation again. Um, depending on the scenario, you may or may not be able to just get your rights back very easily. Um, other times you might be in a situation where you can request your rights back. But what you then have to do is maybe uh, rebate any advances um, or maybe you're in some sort of a penalty clause with your given writing contract. Um, again, if you see somebody is putting in a penalty clause, that's the sort of thing you want to look at and understand what that really means for you. And no matter what, if you're in a circumstance where you're on a royalties contract for something and you're not receiving your royalty payments, then that's definitely one of those things where you do have options. And most of your major retailers, again, Amazons of the world, they do have a process by which you can contact them and let them know you're not being paid your royalties and have somebody intercede on your behalf. And I've seen this happen where both publishers and agents were not paying uh, their authors what they were doing royalties. Now, one of the things that I will say is this. If royalties aren't being paid um, and you haven't received them, then you may be kind of out of pocket for whatever you haven't received up to that point. Um, and you may be looking at having to pursue a legal action. So let's talk about what kinds of scenarios you can run into. Let's actually talk about some of the things that have come up um, in the last few months that I think really created the need to have this conversation. Um, there is a very large uh, very well-known publishing services and ghostwriting company called Scribe Media. They shut down fairly unexpectedly this week. Um, and basically what they cited was an inability to get bridge funding. Now, in the current business environment we're in, um, we're going to see more companies fold. Um, now, with the nature kind of the services we provide, um, again, if you do ghostwriting, and I do some ghostwriting, if you do services, if you do any of these sorts of things and the company you're going through folds, fails, something along those lines, and there's work in process. There's If you're working on that work in progress and you are providing services on one end or the other, um, or you're the author that may have come in and asked for services, you're going to be sitting very much in a gray zone. Any monies, things like that that have been paid in are going to be quite messy. Why do I say that we're going to see more companies that is, appear to be very solid and very reputable in the business? Why do I think we're going to see more of them have problems and fail? Well, for example, if we look at what we know about 
um, the scribe media case, which is really not much, but we can we can kind of make some educated guesses. Um, the company itself was sold out a couple of years ago, bought by some investors. Um, and one of the things that we see happen it, right now is because of the rise in interest rates and because now we're seeing tightening of money, companies, even ones that are very profitable, are, have a potential here to get into trouble. Um, for a company like Ghostwriters, uh, for a company where you're doing publishing, you're not making your money back up front. It is a very long tail process by which you get paid, which can be months or very often it's years. And the environment we've been in for largely the last 40 years has been one of where money has been relatively cheap. And those cheap money days appear to be over. So if I'm used to being able to float money and get two, three, five percent um, or even less, you know, if I'm able to float money on those kinds of terms with my bank on sort of a rolling agreement, I can make payroll and wait for contracts to pay off. I can wait for these things to come in. But publishing is already a very narrow margins business as it is. So a lot of the time, if you're a larger company, you're looking at ways to manage your cash flow. I'm going to go back to the cash flow show I did a few weeks ago. Um, and this is the reason cash flow becomes so important. You may be profitable, you may be making money, but you don't have the cash in the bank to be able to make, make payroll or pay your operating expenses. Um, you know, when that happens, it's unfortunate and it happens to businesses of all kinds. And the reason I say that we're going to see a lot more of this is because so many businesses have grown accustomed to being able to operate on cheap money. They've written contracts sometimes that cover months or years. And since we're now in a period which we've had much higher inflation, the cost of money has gone up so much. If you're already in a tight margins business, you're going to potentially be in a lot of trouble if you're having to float a lot of your cash flow. The reason I go through all of that is you're going to need to be very aware of who you're working with and doing business with to understand what your risks are and how contracts need to be structured. Because now, because there is such a greater risk in certain ways, um, you might want to be looking at and considering what kinds of contracts you sign much more, uh, payment frequency, the ability to audit and see financial statements. There's a lot of contract uh, sort of options to be looked at here. But beyond that, let's say that I'm an author and I've gone to the company to get services and I've paid a deposit. I've paid, um, you know, potentially I've paid for significant amounts of work to be done. That money is now gone. Where am I in terms of those services? Well, one of the things that I also saw was we see a number of people that have been posting that actually work for the company um, going out. And, and I actually saw somebody post and ask the question, is it legal for them just to you know tell us, hey, your access is gone, company shutting down? Um, unfortunately, one of the things that often people don't see or don't look at things as to how a business operates is really what does it mean to have, own, and operate a business? I have talked to a lot of people over the years that just sort of have this belief that, well, there's always money in the bank, it'll be fine. And even though the business is closing, they should pay everybody. Well, generally, if a company is shutting down, 
And based on everything I've seen about the scribe media scenario, really they were in a case where they were desperate and trying to get get some capital infusion to be able to continue to survive. And what it looks like to me is that probably what happened was on one day they were told, nope, you're not getting any more capital. And the next day they went and made the decision, okay, we're shutting the business. There's no need to run up additional liabilities. There's no need to try to continue to do anything else. We go sell off the assets we can, we pay the debts we can, and we move on. When that happens, then unfortunately, everybody who is doing business in this, this would be the customers, this would be the employees, this would be the contractors, this would be anybody that was providing services to them are basically going to have to line up at the bankruptcy court and take the part of whatever they can get when the company shuts down. So unfortunately, in these sorts of scenarios, we have to be aware that if we're doing this kind of work, especially in this kind of an environment, you're going to have to consider more of your work potentially is being at risk. And you'll need to look at when you're taking on these kinds of contracts, what will level of risk are you willing to take? How and when are you looking to get paid for your work and when things are coming through? Uh, you're going to need to monitor your royalties pretty closely and pretty heavily. Um, another couple of examples. Um, there is a company that I've seen and dealt with a lot over the years. Never done any business with them direct, directly myself. A lot of people I know have. Um, used to see them very frequently at a lot, a lot of events. They too have recently shut down and didn't give their authors, um, a lot of the people they worked with, really any notice. Well, again, if you know you're kind of in that kind of trouble, the question becomes, when do you start telling your partners that something may or may not be happening? And this, again, gets to be an ethical situation. This particular case that I'm speaking about here, I would say that we saw that there was a much longer uh, period of time where the owners probably knew that they were not going to be around for another year, but we're still trying to take their shot to see what they can pull out of the, pull out of the end of the day. Um, there's a lot of cases like this. I mean, I could go through a long list of small and mid-sized publishers I've seen come and go. I've had some that, um, I worked with and worked for. Um, I've had times when I had to go get my rights back. I've had times where you had to go prove before you could go sell those rights again or publish again as an, you know, through Amazon or something like that, that you had your rights back. And it can be a very challenging thing to do. But I will say this, most of the time when I see companies that are out there that get into this kind of trouble, if they really know they're in trouble and they're ethical about it, they're pretty much going to give you your rights back. Because the intention is never, or at least in my experience, if you're dealing with somebody that's ethical, the intention is not to do something that's going to harm you as the author, the creator, the employee, the contractor, anything else like that. But I will tell you, having lost businesses, having had to shut things down, it's never a it's never a good feeling. It's one of those things that when you're looking at it, having to make that decision, you often have a lot of angst over it. And you, when you decide it's time, it's one of those things that you just pull the bandaid off, make the decision, let everybody know, and then it's time to move on. And just kind of looking at things like this, you too at some point may have to face this. As an author, as a creator, as a publisher, 
you might get into that situation one of these days where you decide either A, you just want to get out of the business, um, or B, you physically can't continue to do the business, um, or maybe something just happens. It happens to all of us at some point in time. The things I would encourage you to do, read your contracts. Number two, have a plan in place. As many of us have seen over the last few years of the pandemic and with other things happening, um, we've had a lot of people in the community pass away over the last few years, some of which were not necessarily unexpected, but in some cases, it was kind of a shock. Accidents happen. Things happen. I'm going to encourage everybody to have a degree of preparedness for these things happening so that not only are you, your family, those that you care about taking care of, also so are the people that you do business with, because none of us want to leave somebody in a lurch like that. A resource I would recommend you check out if you go to SIFWA.org, Science Fiction Writers um, of America. Um, if you go to SIFWA, you'll find something out there that's called the Legacy Kit. It is a free, accessible resource. I was one of the contributors and reviewers for the package. Um, but if you go out there and take a look at it, it will help carry you through a lot of what you need to do to prepare and have a plan in case something happens to you. What happens to your assets? How do they get handled? And also, it will help uh, help you manage those assets. For example, let's say that you get a different kind of rights deal. It will help you organize all of your IP, all of your rights, and help you know what's there and available to you and what those options are. Now, let's actually go down this last step. What happens? Companies failed. I've got my rights back. Well, again, the first thing you want to make sure is you have your rights back. You know for sure you have those rights back. And if at all possible, you have documentation from the original rights holder, the publisher. Uh, you've gotten something from your agent, something along those lines, so that you can prove and say, no, I really do have these rights. And it can be as simple as an email. Uh, it can be as simple as a letter you receive. It may be a much larger package, depending on the scenario. Make sure you have your rights back. Well, if you have your rights back, what happens next? Well, you have a couple of possibilities. Um, now, if you were being traditionally published, um, it is unlikely that you're going to have another large traditional publisher pick you up. Even if you have more in the series and more things to be done, generally, if those rights have come back, it's hard to find a large publisher to pick them up or even a lot of the midsize. That being said, there are, there are imprints. There are publishers that will pick back up a series and do reprints. Or maybe they'll pick up the rest of a series um, with, or they'll pick up what you have gotten the rights back to with a commitment of doing more books in the series. Because again, it's an investment to put covers. Maybe it needs re-edits. Maybe you need updates, things like this. But it is always a possibility if once you've got rights back, go shop the book. Just see if anybody's interested in it. Uh, the second option you have is to go out there and go indie, take the work out and publish it yourself. Again, maybe you need a re-edit, maybe you need some new covers. Um, there's a lot of things there in the IP about it. But if you have the rights back, you then have options. Now, third piece I'm going to throw out there is this, and we've talked about it a bit, are the scenarios of work for hire. If you're in a scenario um, like a scribe media, let's say that you were a ghostwriter for scribe media, you were doing a project for a client. 
you're going to want to look at your employment contracts as a client. You may want to look at your uh, the contract you signed with Scribe Media. You might be able to reach out and work independently with that ghostwriter or that team to still be able to continue the work through a direct relationship. And sometimes you can't. Or it could be one of those things that if the it could be one of those things that if you are in a scenario where those rights are out there, you may be getting into a legal mess where you're looking at, do I have the right to publish? Do I have the right to continue work that I may have been doing and in process with? So again, go out, look at, read those contracts. Um, I feel for everybody who has gotten caught in the scribe media um, mess, as well as some of the other messes that are going on. And again, I expect that we're going to see a lot more of this happen over the next coming months and coming years. That being said, um, one of the last things you do want to consider is this. If you are doing something beyond copyrighted work, maybe you're also in the same sort of position around trademarks. Uh, maybe you're in the same position around patents, other forms of IP, artwork. Any of these can get into the same sort of a situation and potentially complicate the matter. Again, the last thing I'm going to say is this. Know what your contract says. And if you're not sure what you need exactly, always be ready to consult an IP attorney, especially somebody that understands the business and the industry you're in. So if you're in publishing, you do want an attorney with publishing experience. You don't want your divorce guy. You don't want your real estate attorney. You do need someone that understands IP and especially somebody that specializes in your form of IP. Well, that's been Creating Pros for this week. Um, and we'll see you again soon.